This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. You're listening to a message by Pastor John Matthews. All right, I don't ever read jokes when I start my sermons, but I'm going to this morning. Because it's just so funny. I, I, I was like thinking about... I probably shouldn't do this right before the health seminar, but I was thinking about fried chicken. And... <laughs> I don't know why, and I, there's this joke that I heard years ago, and I'm going to tell it to you. If you've heard it, just hang tight. I said, our teacher asked, what's my favorite animal? And I said, fried chicken. <laughs> she said I wasn't funny, but she couldn't have been right because everyone else was laughing. My parents told me always to tell the truth, and I did. Fried chicken is my favorite animal. <laughs> I, told my I told my dad what happened, and he said, well, you know, your, your teacher was probably a member of PETA. And he said, they love animals a lot. And, and he said, I do too, especially chicken, pork, and beef. Anyway, my teacher sent me to the principal's office, and I told him what happened. He laughed too and then said, let's not do that again. The next day in class, my teacher was asking me what my favorite live animal was. I told her chicken. She asked why. I said, because you could make it into fried chicken. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're a vegetarian. Just work with me. She, she sent me back to the principal's office. He laughed. He said, listen, don't do that again. I don't understand. My parents taught me to be honest, but my teacher doesn't like it when I am. <laughs> Today, my teacher asked us, which famous person do you admire the most? <laughs> Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Guess where I am now? <laughs> oh, that was funny right there. That was funny right there. <laughs> yeah. All right. This morning I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here with some some stuff I haven't talked about in a while. Let me just get my notes open. It's good to see everybody. I mean, we have such good worship here. I say that every time I get up to this pulpit to preach, but I sit on the front some weeks and it's just like so refreshing. I mean it. It's so powerful. Hold on. I preached that last week. I'm going to preach on women again. <laughs> Did you guys get something from that last week? <laughs> One more funny thing that happened. Our podcast, I don't know how I did this. I was on, I was, uh, I don't know where I was. I was out at lunch, and one of my friends did a screenshot. He, he, he signs up for our podcast, and every time a new podcast comes out, it says, hey, new podcast is available from the gate. And he sends me a screenshot with all these laughy faces. And the way it worded it was, powerful women, John Matthews is available. <laughs> it was supposed to mean the sermon, sermon title, powerful woman by John Matthews is available. But how it worded it was, powerful women, John Matthews is available. <laughs> I got razzed over that for two, there's two ways you could read it. It was either powerful woman, John Matthews is available or powerful women, John Matthews is available. Either way, there were weird things popping up on my Instagram, people trying to friend me. I'm like, nah, nah I ain't taking no friends this week. Especially when your, your, your photo's like, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I get some weird friend requests, but they went to a whole new level after that podcast came out convinced that our media director Colby did it on purpose <laughs> but uh, my wife's like no he's not <laughs> what do you do thanks Jesus wow there's just a real tangible presence of the Lord in this room this morning it was back in the prayer room before we even got going just a welcome into his encounters with love and I just feel such an invite this morning into the father's love. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about um, our thought life. Um, the church has done pretty good. Uh, we've, we've really focused a lot on our words, which don't get me wrong, our words are powerful. And I've heard a lot of teachings on words. I've done a lot of teachings on words. Um, don't, you know, power life is in the death and in the tongue. and That's all very true. But 
if you don't actually get to the thoughts, what you have is you have a bunch of miserable Christians walking around that just won't say it. Because I'm not allowed to tell you I'm miserable, but I don't know what to do because I'm just allowed not to say it. So we've got miserable people that don't know how to fix things. And this thing on the thought life, the biggest battle you face in life, the biggest battle you face in life is between your ears. It is. Um, this week, uh, I'm going to share kind of from a vulnerable place this morning, and, but this, this week's been kind of a wild week for me and my family. I mean, just so many things have happened that I can't even share, but, um, you know, from on Wednesday, I got a call from my nephew that got in a bad car accident right on here on Providence, and he, he, <laughs> he left me hanging. He's like, I've been in a bad car accident. I'm like, where are you? You know, I'm like, how are you doing? And he just writes me back and says, it hurts. And that's all he left me hanging. I'm like, bro. So I just started driving. I knew it was on Providence. And there's only so long on Providence before I'm going to find it. And I, I went and found him. And, and um, it was, you know, a pretty bad accident and totaled multiple vehicles. And he's okay. You know, so that was Wednesday. And uh, I'm not looking for pity. I'm just sharing that I'm a real person. I want you to hear where I'm coming from this morning. Thursday, uh, my wife woke up and her lungs were closing, and uh, I said, I think we need to go to the doctor, <laughs> and she went and she said, yo, you guys are, she's having an allergic reaction from all the stuff, we're doing a kitchen renovation, and said all the junk that's in the air in your house is getting in her lungs, and you need to get her out of there until you can get it controlled, so we moved into a hotel for a couple nights, it's weird staying in a hotel near your house, it's just awkward. <laughs> It's kind of nice to clean your room, though, when you get up in the morning. It's like, I need that every now and then. Just like a, <laughs> we called it quality control because we put our guest speakers there. I'm like, well, might as well experience it. And um, so we went, we stayed there a couple nights while I went home, and I just scrubbed every, uh, man, me and thieves, we were buddies for a couple days. We thieves to the whole house. And I, I mean, I, we put up barriers and all that, and then we... The next day, as we, we thought we were getting through some stuff, we just we had some news that we were, we were informed of with some things with family that was really tough. And as you're going through this stuff, your mind, how many know your mind goes crazy? One of the things I've found is that people that are actually getting somewhere in their walk with the Lord, they have one thing very in common, and it's pretty much that they're just professionals at taking captive their thoughts. Because it doesn't take but about mm, just a few minutes before I focus on everything the enemy's doing that I go into a dark place. Um, some of us are really strong and you might make it 10 minutes. But it doesn't take long when you begin to just focus on the thoughts of the enemy and it begins to take you somewhere you don't want to go. And you're immediately faced at that point, where am I going to go with this? You've got all this stuff going on, and I'm, I'm too sold. In the, I'm too sold. I'm, I bought in hook, line, and sinker. God is good. There's no question about that. I don't go there. Like, that's not the first place I go is God good or not. It's not even an option. It's, it's not. My, my wife said something powerful this morning on the way to church. She said, but there's no contradiction between sometimes feeling sorrow and knowing he's still good. Some people think you feel sorrow and you are not leaning into the goodness of God. Yeah. You haven't read your Bible. Because he mourned with those who mourned. But there's a difference between mourning with those who mourn and being sucked into the trap of the enemy. And sometimes I believe that the church just needs to learn how to mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes we're looking to give answers when they don't need an answer. They just need a hug. I, I don't believe in walking in a life of sympathy. I believe sympathy is a counterfeit for compassion. I believe compassion says, I see where you're at. I'm going to stand with you, and I'm going to help you get out of this. Sympathy says, I'm just going to come live with you. And I don't, I don't, I'm not big in sympathy. I'm very big in compassion. Matter of fact, you read your Bible, and every time Jesus was moved by compassion, immediately following that, something phenomenal happens. A yeah. miracle happens. Something yeah. takes place that we're like, wow. Whoa, where'd that come from? He was moved with compassion. Amen. And, we've, and we've, we've churned him into uh, so often because of sermons and people preaching that have such a, 
a lack of understanding of who he is, we've placed him as this faraway God that if you live good enough, if you pray hard enough, if you press in hard enough, if you fast enough, if you do this, you'll get to him. Yeah. And it has to break his heart. It has to break his heart that, that we have turned him into a reward in a, in that when he just wants to be a father. And so many people have preached things, you know, and, I, and listen, we do fast. We do pray. I do all those things, but I do them with a purpose. But it's not because I can't get to God if I don't do them. Because he's near. I do them because at times I need to focus more. I need to, I need to kill off all the distractions. I need to lock into the Father. But I don't do it because he's not there. I do it because he is there. Who would fast if he wasn't there? It's just a miserable diet. <laughs> I wouldn't. But I fast because I know he's right there. And so we face this thought life that so many people have been taught, well, don't speak that. And, and there's a lot of things we shouldn't speak. But there's a lot of things we shouldn't think. And that's hard because how do we not? Well, there's this, this, there's this thing called coming to an agreement. And that's what we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. But if you have your Bible, I want you to flip into 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And that's it's kind of where we're going to start. And we'll see how far we get through all this. This is really fresh, just raw thoughts from my heart this morning. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul is talking about some interesting stuff here. Verse, uh, let's start in verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Hallelujah. I think he's trying to make a point. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. To make it obedient to Christ. I want to read that one more time. Verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension. There, there's so many different translations. Some of them are going to talk about imagination. Some of them are going to talk about arguments. There's, there's all these different translations you could be reading from this morning. And they all come back together with a thought life. Every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive everything and make it obedience. So Paul is, the Apostle Paul is such an amazing writer. I mean, if, you've, if you study this guy, he has a way of writing things where it's like, it's phenomenal. And he's trying to get across to the church, he's trying to get across that, listen, you have to begin to take captive these thoughts. You can't let these things run. And he uses an extremely interesting analogy here that I, I have read my whole life and probably never got really that much from it as I could have. He said that it's like a stronghold, right? I want us to think about a stronghold. He said that these thoughts, these things in your life that try to lift themselves up. So here's God. And here's the devil trying to push some thoughts up there to get it up there with God. And it says that when we receive them in our life, it becomes like a stronghold. Now, let's talk about a stronghold. What's the purpose of a stronghold? What was the need for a stronghold in military? The purpose of a stronghold was that the military, whether whatever side, that they have safety in it and they can fight from it. When the enemy drops these thoughts in our life that we adopt, that the things that God says, these are contrary to my thinking. When we allow those to take place in our life, I want you to look at this stronghold as, I, maybe it's just me, I see it like a castle. I see like these big, large stones and this massive castle and this, this strong place. And he said, every, imagine every stone is a thought. Doubt. Build that wall. You know, um, fear. Building that stronghold. And what happens is, is the irony of it all is the things that we adopt in our life that we're actually trying to self-protect are the very things that create a stronghold in our life that protects the enemy. Yeah. Yep. That's good. 
we adopt, we, we, we take these things in because we, I tell people all the time, love has boundaries, fear has walls. People I counsel all the time, you know, they're like, well, that's just my boundaries. I'm like, no, that ain't love. That's fear. And that's a wall. Now, you need boundaries, too. Boundaries are good. But imagine these things that we take in our life and we begin to try to self-protect. And we begin to buy into these lies. And we actually think that we're building this fortress for us. But the exact opposite is happening, and you've actually built a stronghold for the enemy to reside in your life. And he's safe in that stronghold. And I want to go after this because I believe that speaking these things is, is just another level of, you know, it's not good. But I believe that for you, if you carry these things, we've got people that are walking around that have this, this fortress in their life, and the enemy is just safe as can be. Because he's like, you've adopted this lie all your life. You've adopted these lies. You've empowered these things, and I'm good. But that's why when the scripture talks about it, it's not this little, like, you know, just the fortress will disappear. It's like it's demolishing it. It's taking it out lie by lie. It's saying, no, that was not you. That was not you. That was contrary to the word of God. Every thought, it's, it's this simple. It really is this simple. Every thought, every action, everything that we do in life is from one of two realms, fear or love. It's that simple. I can sit down with anybody, the smartest of the smart, and I can listen and I can hear them and say, Oh, that's just fear talking. That's why perfect love casts out all fear, because once you have perfect love and it casts out all fear, it takes over. But there's one of two things that are always operating. It's the world of fear or it's the world of love. They're always moving. They're always in motion. And I don't believe that we were created to walk around with these strongholds in us that we have to fight every day. There's a unique scripture in Mark. Uh, we're going to flip over there. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse... Um, let's start at uh, verse 14. It's, it's unique and it's kind of funny too. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Stop right there. Jesus goes like straight up teacher mode on them. They're like talking about physical bread. And Jesus is like, bam, teacher mode. Like he comes right back at them. And then they say, they discuss this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. They're kind of missing it. Like Jesus, like, they're like, oh, we're on the boat. We forgot. We got one loaf of bread. Oh, day's ruined. Jesus, Jesus comes right at him. He's like, watch out that the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod don't get in there. And they're like, it's because we forgot the bread. <laughs> Anybody catching the fun? This is kind of funny. Jesus is like, okay, guys, yeah, moving a little slow today. And so he says, 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? This is an interesting passage of Jesus because... Jesus was always just, I mean, he's perfect theology. He was always in tune with the Father. He was always in the moment of when the Spirit was speaking something, he just, whoo, threw it in there. They're on the boat. They're like, ah, we only brought one loaf of bread today. And Jesus is like, I'm going to go right into a teaching here. And he goes in, and they're like, we're just talking about bread. Jesus is like, can you not hear me? 
And he says something interesting. He talks about the first thing that he tells them. He says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. What's that? Religion. And Herod, political. <laughs> I just got some people that are... <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Jesus said, watch out. Don't even let a little piece. What is the deal with yeast? It will make the whole thing rise. It doesn't take but barely any. He said, listen, guys. He says... Guard your thoughts that you don't even let a sliver of the religious spirit, a religious system, we'll call it, or the political system into your thinking because it will massively impact you. And so he's trying to speak into them about this. He's beginning to open the door about their thought life. And the disciples are completely missing it. They're like, yeah, I know we forgot our bread. And <laughs> so Jesus... He hears them. This is where it gets interesting. Jesus hears them. So apparently they go into this whole discussion over bread. These guys are really disheartened they forgot lunch. Like they're having this conversation with each other. And Jesus is listening to them, like hearing this conversation. And it's pretty interesting because he says, why are you still talking about having no bread? Now, this word discuss, this word discussion, Jesus heard this discussion. I want just stick with me a minute. I'm going to try to break this down. The word discuss comes from the same root word that we saw that I just read to you when Paul was talking in 2 Corinthians about capturing every thought. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying to them right here. He's saying, why are you letting fear and why are you getting so upset about this? Why aren't you capturing these thoughts? Jesus was not just interested in providing lunch for these guys. He was more interested in them understanding the power of their thoughts. He reminds them. It's interesting because here they are, one loaf of bread, just a few guys. He's like, guys, do you remember when I, like, multiplied the food for thousands Okay, if you didn't get the first time, how about the second time? I did it for thousands. Why is it that the conversation in our head always starts from what we don't have and doesn't start from the testimony of what he's already done? So often in our head, we start from the place of what we haven't seen happen yet instead of actually starting in the place of testimony. Jesus was saying, guys, what are you so worried about, guys? I've done this. Don't you remember? You picked up the leftovers. What are you fighting for? And he's trying to take this moment and say, listen, there's a much bigger issue here. There, you're, I hear fear in your language right now. Don't worry about the bread. I can do that one. We're good. We're talking about fear. And why is it that you guys are leaning into fear instead of leaning into the miracles you've already seen? And there's something powerful that begins to happen here because when God shows up, he's not just meeting a need. He's revealing his nature. This is really big, guys, because when God shows up and does something amazing, it's not, it's not purely just to meet your need. That's a byproduct of God showing up. But why he shows up is to reveal who he is. And he's saying he's kind of concerned because he's like, man, they, they're not getting this. He's like, they're not, they don't know who, they're not getting this side of me. I'm a provider. And he's concerned that they've seen the miracles, but they haven't caught the revelation of his nature. And you see, that can happen in the greatest spirit-filled churches. We see the greatest miracles. We see all these things, and we do. But it's pointing to a nature of who he is. Amen. And he's saying that, I need you to catch my nature. I need, because you can't possibly be a carrier if you don't understand what you're carrying. And, and we can all point to something and say something amazing happened over here. I saw this person got healed. But then when we start stepping into the reality of my God is a healer. He's a healer. 
something begins to shift in our spirits. When Jesus moves, when Jesus responds, when Jesus shows up, it's a two-sided coin. One, when he shows up and does miracles, one is to bring an answer, but two is to show you who he is. That's why I tell people all the time when they're praying for somebody for healing and they're so worried, what if they don't get healed? As long as we can still show that person your nature. Like, 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 can you pray for that person and they feel loved? What if they don't get healed? What if they do? I love, I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, it's not my reputation at risk. When I pray for people, it's not my reputation because I'm not the one healing them. I'm just praying. I'm believing and I'm releasing heaven, but it's not my reputation that's at risk. I don't have to worry about that. But I can pray for anybody, and I believe with all my heart that I could pray for somebody. And when they walk away, they said, you know, whether or not they got healed, and I believe for healing. By the way, that's my only option of thinking. So if you don't know me, that's the only way my mind is wired is healing. I just don't, I can't find another option. I haven't found the scripture for option B yet. Because that would contradict who he is. But I pray. And if they don't receive it in that moment, they can walk away and say, I feel the presence of the Lord. I feel that he loves me. I can go home and I can rest in the assurance that he actually cares about me. He loves me. And Jesus was telling these guys, you're so worried about the miracle. You have missed who I am. You have missed, actually, the revelation of who I am. Now, I want to be really clear that I, I don't believe that God does bad things to teach us his ways. I just, that's got the spirit of dumb on it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love you, but listen, guys, God is not making you sick so that you can pray for him to heal you. Or he would be a house divided. And if that's the case, then he's a hypocrite. Because he told you not to do that. And he's not. We know he's not. And I understand that some of us, at times, there's people that have not. What happens is, is we prayed for something and there was no answer. And we're looking for anything we can to get that comfort. And, well, God must have done that to teach me a lesson. And you have to know that God's sitting in heaven like, man, why do I always get blamed for this stuff? Like, like that's not my heart. I sent my son Jesus to die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a, what a. How, in, not insulting, but how harsh would that be that he would send his son to reverse all the effects of the curse. And then when we still deal with him, we say, well, it's your fault. Yeah. And he's sitting there saying, I've done everything about this that I can possibly do. You do realize that he's done everything he can do. When he sent his son, when he said it was finished, he actually means it was finished. It doesn't mean that it, doesn't mean that it was almost finished. It was finished. Why do we deal with sickness, disease, and all that stuff? Because we're cleaning up the residue of the curse. It's a residue, but it has no power. None. That's why it doesn't scare me. It's a name. It's a name. Tell me what's your sickness. Blah, blah, blah. blah. It's a name. Bow down. Anybody got any faith in this room? So, so Jesus is like, you're not, you're not, you're not catching this, you know. You're not, you're not quite getting what I'm trying to get across here. And Jesus isn't doing bad things to teach us lessons. It's, it's not happening. But he likes to take those, we'll call them those no bread moments. In our lives and reveal to us who he is. Moses was. Let's think about, let's think about Moses a second, right? Moses was seeing all the same stuff that the Israelites were seeing. The difference between Moses and the entire nation of Israel is that all they were seeing was his acts, and Moses was seeing his ways. This is the difference between a people that see what he's doing versus a people that know what his heart is. And see, he invited the whole nation in. If you've read the scriptures, he invited the whole nation of Israel to come. And they got intimidated and they backed off. And they're like, ah, we choose Moses. 
Moses is like, I'm game. And Moses is the guy that goes up the mountain. Moses is the guy that the goodness of the Lord passes in front of him. Moses is the guy that it says in your scripture, it said that Moses knew his ways. There's a place in relationship where you begin to understand people's ways. If you don't know me that well, you see what I'm doing up here. My, I'm preaching. I'm doing this thing. But as you begin to if, get to know me, you begin to know what drives me, why I do it, what's the purpose behind that. And it's that way with everybody in this room. People see the way you act. But then what is your ways? Who are you? And Moses said, I've, I've, I, Moses saw the same thing the whole nation saw, but he said, I want to know who you are. Why? Because Moses was interested in relationship and Israel was interested in response. Moses wanted a relationship with the Lord. Israel needed something from the Lord. They needed freedom. But isn't that the way that we still tend to lean in a relationship? Is so many people's prayer life goes off the charts when they have a need. But Moses said, I, I just want to I just want to know you. Because when I get to know that you are a healer, I don't have to wonder if you'll heal. When I get to know you as as deliverer, I don't have to worry if you'll deliver. And see, when the next situation arises, I still know he's deliverer. Isn't it interesting that God will do an amazing miracle in our life? We have something that we need a breakthrough in, and it's looking bad. And, oh, God. And he shows up, does this miraculous. Anybody ever had that happen? Like, it was like, listen, that was a God thing. Come on, put your hand up. Yeah, right? How many of you had something else happen after that where you needed another God moment? How many of you tend to feel the same way you did the first time, and you didn't remember? The hands are getting thinner. I don't think it's because you're being honest, though. How many of you, though, in all honesty, the second time felt the same way as the first time? That's because we need a greater revelation of who he is. When I begin to understand him as the provider, I don't, I don't run into the same situation again. I'm like, oh, I wonder if he'll meet my need. I say, no, I, I met him over there. I met, a, I met a side of God. I, I want to write a book one day about the different sides of God because I'm convinced that every argument in church is because most of the time people see a different side of God. He's so multifaceted. Like people, The Bible says when the angels and the cherubims and the seraphims, it says that they sing before him, holy, 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 and then he turns and they see a new side of God and they go, holy, holy, holy. What happens? He turns again, holy, holy, holy. This has been happening for a long time. And then I meet people that are like evangelists and they're like, he just wants to save the lost. And, the, and then certain people are like, well, he just, oh, he just wants to prophesy. And they're all true. It's just a different side of God. He's that great. But here's the thing. I've met God in places where I've met things in him that I said, he showed me over there. He will show up. He's reliable. Like, like find, find the personality word, not, not what he did for you. Find who he actually is. Like, I remember, like, like a six to nine months after we stepped in and started pastoring the church, and that song we sung this morning, You Came. I remember standing right here. I'll never forget it. When we started, I wasn't sure if this thing was going to take off or is this going to turn into a small group, you know? And I remember, like, it, things were really going well. And I was in worship, and that song came on. You came, I knew that you would come. And I'm, it hit me. I'm like, he came. Since then, I don't question if he'll come again. Because I know a side of him now that I say, oh, he's reliable. He is reliable. He, he's, that, he's that good. Let's... let's Keep moving here. I'm going to run out of time. I, I believe that it's so easy for us to become response-driven instead of relationship-driven. Where we, we're driven by needs. 
I heard somebody say one time, it's a hard time to start believing in miracles when you've never believed in miracles. Like, like when you personally are in bad shape and you start believing, that's, that's a hard place to learn. It's, it's a lot easier when you're praying over somebody else to start leaning into faith and growing in faith. There's something that happens. When we look at the life of King David, King David was like, he's like my superhero. Like when I get to heaven, he's my first meeting set up. Me and King David. Like, I want to hear the stories that didn't make it in the Bible. I, you know there's some that didn't make it. He was a wild guy. Like, we can't put that in there, guys. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want to hear all the stories about David. But there was this thing about David that David's Bible school was just learning who God was in a field. He just worshipped. He went in a field, and he's like, he knew who he was. So what happens? Goliath comes into town. Everybody's afraid. But why is David not afraid? Because I know God. I've already had the revelation that he's greater than that. And so everyone else is being moved by what's happening. Fear. Oh, they're not taking those. They're building a fortress for the enemy in their own life. And David's like, listen, man, it was like last week I wrote a worship song about this. He's good. He's big. And what happens? They, you know, remember, you know the story. They, they come and they lines up his boys, and he doesn't even bring David in. Talk about rejection from dad. You know, it's like, here's all my boys. Is anybody else? Well, it's David. Like twinkle toes out in the field playing his heart and singing to the sheep. Bring him in. He walks in, and David comes in, and there's, um, I, I believe with all my heart, there was, a, there was a presence that was on David. David was, he wasn't even like covenant-wise supposed to be able to do what he was doing yet. And somehow he was tapping into something from the new covenant. And I believe when David came in, there was such a presence of the Lord and a confidence on him that when he walked in, they said, that's him. But what happened when David took him out there, what they do? They tried to put their armor on him, their ways of doing things. And David's like, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. I just, I need my stuff and what I, I know that God's going to take care of me. And you know the story. Takes him down. Mocks him first. But David's awesome, dude. He's like, he like walks out there and he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Bam. It's like, the other guys are like, I hope he's the right one. Because if not, we're all dead now. Thanks, David. And David's like, like, like just, he's trash talking. It's like good old football game. He's trash talking. And he's so confident. And then what does he do? He takes him down. He cuts his head off and it's done. Why? Because he knew, he knew from his history with learning who God was. His mind battle wasn't there. Everybody else was fighting in their head. <clears throat> David didn't have that because I know who he is. Yeah. I know who he is. I'm not talking about treating symptoms. It's, it's important to keep your mouth shut if you're full of negative stuff. Don't get me wrong. But it's even more important to get out the negative stuff. And don't just carry it around. Because when you, when you carry it around, it's like you're full of poison. And you got to get it out. And how do you get it out? You know who he is. You know who he is. We're created like him. We look like him. There's this passage, and you can just write it down. And you, you know it in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. It talks about looking into a mirror and being transformed. It's the coolest scripture. Because... Imagine if you were to walk into a grocery store and you see somebody walking by that looks just like you. And you're like, make this remark. Wow, that's like looking into a mirror. I get told all the time, I look like, what's the race car driver? Dale Earnhardt Jr. I, I mean, there's this one lady that used to work at Target that I don't think she had a real good mind. And she would tell me every time I walked in, has anyone ever told you you look like Dale Earnhardt Jr.? I hear all the time. Even funny story. One time I was walking into a restaurant, and this guy came zooming up in his minivan. I mean, he's like going into race car driver mode. He's like, and he zooms up, stops next to me, puts his window down, and he's like, oh, my gosh. Can I shake your hand? 
I was not gonna blow that guy's world. I'm like, sure, and I shook his hand, and he's like, and he zoomed off all excited, and he was like, I met Dale Earnhardt Jr. I did not say I was Dale Earnhardt Jr., but the guy was like, I mean, he's gonna tell all his friends I met. Yeah. Is that my face? Oh my goodness. Who did it? How did you do this? Oh my word. This was, this was like from a few weeks ago. I was going to say, you're really prophetic. I didn't even tell anybody what I was preaching about. Okay, so that's my, that's my lookalike, right? Or I'm his lookalike because he's older than me. Okay, so when I look at him, it could be said like, wow, it's kind of like looking in a mirror. Here's the cool thing about God, though. Here's what he's trying to tell us. He said, here's the deal with me. When you look into a mirror, you see the Father. But the longer you look at it, the more you begin to look like it. He says, when you look in the mirror, you see me. And as you look at me, as you get to know me, you begin to actually look like the image in the mirror. You don't have to do anything. You just look at me. You just look. When we have those thoughts, when we have the battle in our mind, and I'm telling you in a room this size, there's battles all over the place. There are fortresses. The enemy in some of your lives, he has been living good for a long time in in a fortress that you think is for you. And you've given him residence. And you get prayer. And if you don't deal with the thoughts, you wonder why it's not getting to him. Because he's safe. He's in a fortress. But Paul said, demolish the thoughts that built that thing. Stone by stone, take them down. Rip them out. Watch it crumble. Jesus was always trying to go somewhere deeper than just the moment of giving an answer. Let's wrap this up. People in need often turn to reasoning in themselves. That's where the battle begins. They begin to reason. When they don't, it's usually after you don't get an answer after the first two or three times someone's prayed over you. Then the reasoning begins. Well, maybe, and I've, I've discussed some of the reasons. A popular one is, well, maybe God's doing this to teach me something. Maybe it's because I just messed up too bad when I was younger. (laughs) Siri's talking to me over there. Maybe, whatever it might be, we begin to reason things. This is why I'm I'm not getting breakthrough here. Maybe, Maybe it's because, you know, I guess I don't have a good enough devotion life. I don't pray enough. That's probably why. And we begin to reason within ourselves. And we begin to battle. And it's really hard to reason with God and have faith in God at the same time. Here's the thing about the devil. Let's make it clear. He's not a competitor with God. I don't want you to get into this mindset like there's God and the devil. He already whooped him. It's over. So I don't want to get this picture like, where's God and the devil fighting it out? No. I want you to understand a couple things. One, the devil is a created being. So let's bring that into perspective. You're above the devil. Because you're sons and daughters. You, You do realize that, like, you're above the devil and demons and angels, too. They're created beings. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe, that the angels actually come and watch you to learn things. That's the coolest scripture ever. Can you imagine being in worship and you're just worshiping and angels are checking you out? Like, I know who that person used to be. I saw them who they used to be. They're trying to figure out grace. Like, that that dude caused trouble. Now he's on the prayer team. Setting people free 
has a family, has the, and they're looking at you, trying to understand this grace. Because they're not children of God. They're just beings that are created. They, they carry assignments. But they're not children. And so the devil, you understand that the devil's not up here with God. He's not even up here with you. The, the Bible says that at the end, like when we see who the devil is, you're going to be like, that's you. I mean, for real, you know, at the very end, when we actually like, like whenever that time comes that we get to see the devil and he comes out, it's going to be really a letdown. Like <laughs> you caused all that trouble. Like, like that's all there is to you. He's not, a, it's not an even fight with God. It's not an even fight with you and me. What's his weapon? He's only got one. It's his mouth. That's literally, <laughs> that's literally his only weapon is his mouth. Because the Bible says that he was disarmed. He was defeated. It was taken away from him. All power, all authority was ripped away from him when he thought he was killing Jesus. Oh, man, surprise. It's like, you just defeated yourself. And, and he defeated, in the process of thinking he's defeating Jesus, he's defeating himself. And then what happens? Jesus raises from the dead, and uh-oh, you have nothing anymore. You've got one option, just one option, lies. Here's your only option, devil. Tell them things that are contrary to what God's telling them. Hope they believe it because they have all the power. So if they'll take it, they'll empower it. Here, here's the deal. Whatever you believe in, you empower. You ever met somebody that said, nobody believed in me my whole life. And then someone believed in them and it empowered them. You ever seen that? That's because whatever you believe in, you empower. The same is true with the devil and his lies. Whatever you believe in, you empower. When he speaks to you and he lies to you and you believe in it, you just empowered it. And I look at the devil as like he's fishing. It's like he's fishing, he's throwing it out there, and he'll change his bait constantly until he finds a bait that you'll grab. And he'll keep changing that bait. And he's like, what will they bite on? What's the piece that they'll bite on? He's not stupid. I didn't say he was dumb. He has no power. But he's not dumb. And he'll keep going. And he'll keep going. I want to live a life where I know the Father so well. that He can cast that bait at me all day. And say, no. Fear. Nah. I'm secure. Whew, he's casting another one. Doubt. Nah. I know who how much he loves me. Whew, worry. Why would I worry? He's shown up every time. And he'll cast all day, every day. But you understand. All he's doing is casting. Nothing happens till you bite. I'm trying to take away the picture of how many of us think he has so much authority in our life. Because he doesn't have any. The Apostle Paul was talking in Ephesians chapter 4. He's talking to the church and he says this. He says, I'm... He says, don't give place to the devil. He says this just a couple passages after he talks about the renewing of your mind. He was talking to, a, a, actually in this passage, he was talking to a mature church. He wasn't talking to a bunch of baby believers. He was talking to a mature group of believers. And he said, listen, don't give him a place in your mind. Don't let him have that. Because what you believe in, you empower. And I, I don't have the time to take, take apart this topic as much as it deserves. I mean, what is repentance? 
really. Really, like real repentance is changing your thought life on a topic. It's the Lord has highlighted something in your life that needs to be addressed. And it's saying, I got to change the way I think about that. We have watered down repentance to, and hear me out, I'm always cautious with this, but we have watered it down to a salvation prayer. And it's a part of a salvation prayer. It's a part of coming into the kingdom. It's a part of coming into relationship with God. But that's not all it is. It's not just saying, I repented. I mean, I, I always grew up thinking like you just pray this prayer, Lord, I just repent. And it was like, I don't even know what I'm repenting of. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like, thankful. Am I the only church kid in the room? Right? I, I just knew repent. Well, I don't know, what are you repenting for? I don't know. I'm just supposed to repent every day. So before I go to bed, Lord, I just repent. I have no idea what I'm repenting. And, 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 and then I started getting to, like, coming into this understanding of, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you changing your thinking over? Like, what is changing in your life? And I meet people all the time. They're like, I came forward and I repented on Sunday. Some of them, they did. Some of them just confessed. I meet a lot of good confessors. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are great at confessing and crying. Uh-oh. They're professional confessors. But you've been confessing the same problem in your life for a long time. Why is it not changing? Because it starts with confession, but it has to go to repentance. It has to. And what is repentance? Repentance is saying I'm going to walk the journey of changing my thinking, of having my mind changed, that I don't think this way anymore. And that is what it is. I, I'm done. So I... I don't have a real flashy ending, but never really do. I'm bad at ending. Some guys are pro-enders preachers. I, I am so jealous of the pro-enders. They're so good. They come to the end, and it's like, even if you didn't like the sermon, you leave like, that was amazing. All because the ending was so good. I can do a good sermon, and they're like, the end stunk, but like, it was a good sermon. It's all right. <laughs> but I'm secure. <laughs> I've, 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 shared pretty, I've shared pretty honestly with you this morning, more honestly than you would know, because you don't know what's going on in my life, and I don't know what's going on in yours. Yeah. But I know this much. I know that I'm not going to open my heart to the lies of the enemy. Yeah. And I have decided, and it's easy to do. But... Something begins to happen when we begin to, like Moses, know the ways of the Father. That when the enemy tries it out, you're like, <laughs> devil. That was like, so 2010. Like, you already got me with that one. I learned who he was. It will not work again. But we begin to break the cycle. And there's areas that have been passed down through your family that all of a sudden your kids begin to get free of because they saw you get through it. Don't hide your victories from your kids. Don't hide your victories from your kids. I've apologized to my kids more than once for not being very nice and getting cranky. I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. I want, to, I want them to see that their dad wants to be like the Lord. But when they see your victories and they see this area that, man, that used to drive dad nuts. And now, like, he, he, the Lord showed him something and he's cool. They'll get to a certain age and they'll, maybe they'll start bugging them and they'll be like, well, you know what, though? I remember when my dad found out that was a lie. Let them see your victories. Amen? Let's stand up. 
Now for my flashy ending. <laughs> Let's just, I'm going to release you very quickly because I've went a long time. Thanks for your patience. Right now, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. I feel like he's going to, I feel like there's like a grace to um, just destroy strongholds in this room this morning. Some of you, they've, they've, they've become so familiar to you that um, it's going to feel different when they come down. And that's a great thing. So we'll do it this way. It's real simple. Just ask the Lord, Father, is there areas in my life where the enemy has uh, their strongholds? Just ask him. In this atmosphere, there's so much of the Holy Spirit. You'd be surprised how clearly you'll hear him. So just ask, Lord, is there any strongholds in my life? The moment, if he shows you there is, ask him, what are the lies and the thoughts that have built this? What are the lies, what are the thoughts that I've, I've taken that have built this? Now, they're all rooted in fear, so go a little bit more unique than that. Dig in a little bit more. Because fear is going to be where they came from. But what are they? Is it rejection? What is it? Okay. Now, I want you to begin to tell those lies that I'm ripping you out of my life. In the authority of Jesus, Paul said, demolish them. So whatever it is, whatever he's speaking to you, just begin to say in Jesus' name, I demolish rejection. I demolish uh, whatever it might be. Just begin to, just, you can do it to yourself. You can do it out loud, but do it with some state. Get behind it. Get behind it and demolish it. I feel like a weird, quiet victory in the room. It's okay. Sometimes being quiet's like not appropriate, but at this moment, it's very appropriate. There's a quiet victory. Your breathing might even change. Some of you, you can breathe lighter. You feel it lifting off your chest. Some of you, it's your past. That's the lies. You're holding it past. The devil's telling you your past has disqualified you from your future. Aren't you glad that Jesus can't even see that? The devil's just reminding you. So we take that. If that's you, take it. Demolish it. Throw it to the ground. In Jesus' name. going to be a place of protection for you, not for the enemy. Now he's going to begin to give you whatever the opposite is. If it was rejection, it's acceptance. Whatever it is, receive it. Just tell him, Lord, I receive whatever it is. I receive what you're giving me this morning and take it. Uh, as a prophetic act, just I receive that. I receive that. And I allow you to build a beautiful thing in my life. Like, just go for it. Go for it. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to welcome up the prayer team right now because a lot of you need somebody to join with you this morning. I feel like a need for some agreement this morning. If you're feeling like you're stuck, the people that are going to be up here, they can pray with you and they can agree with you to see this stuff demolished. But we're focusing on his ways, who he is, not just his acts. Now, Father, I pray right now 
over everybody in this room. I pray a revelation of who the Father is. I pray that in this moment, that areas that you've been seeing things through a filter for a long time, that he would just take those glasses off right now, and you would begin to see him, see him clearly. All throughout this room, he would reveal himself to you. He would reveal himself to you. And he's going to, I feel it. I bless you. I bless your homes. I bless your families. I pray that the presence of the Lord would, would go with you in your vehicles, in your cars, in your homes, that it would never lift. It would never walk away. That you would, this, this, uh, love how the Passion Translation calls it the wraparound presence of God. That feeling you feel in this room right now is that wraparound presence of God. That it just, it holds you close. I pray that you would feel that and it would never leave. It would never leave. I bless you in Jesus' name.